then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Hawkeye Recap with Brian Hurley, part of the Hawk Fanatic Network. On this podcast, we will relive past Iowa football and basketball games and players from the past 100 plus years. To find more games and players, visit HawkeyeRecap.com. For this week's podcast, I want to add a few notes. Try not to do too much commentary on this. Keep it strictly to the historical, but sometimes I have a few things to say. So yesterday, the Hawks wrapped up the Big Ten West title with a win over Illinois. Another nail-biter and another stressful game to watch, which is no surprise because that's how it's been the last few seasons. My first comment will be around the kickers and punters because that's my expertise. Torrey Taylor's amazing. Definitely the, the most accurate punter I've ever seen. Now, he is older, so we have to take that into account just for comparison if you're looking at Reggie Roby versus Tory Taylor. The ability to drop the ball inside the 20 and down inside the five over and over again and set up our defense with safeties or great field position is amazing. Drew Stevens is amazing for his age. He might end up being better than Nate Gating. He's already kicking 50-yard field goals in critical, crucial situations. When I played, our 50-yard field goals were bonus. It was not to decide the game. It was like, let's see if we can get some points. If we miss, who cares? He's put into a position where he has to hit those 50-yarders, and he's doing it. So I'm so impressed with his accuracy, his leg strength, his demeanor for his only second year in the program, I think. So he's got a huge, bright future ahead. Also, his kickoffs are amazing. Again, that just puts away any opportunities to return the kick. The next thing is Brian Ferentz. A change needed to be made. He was not getting it done as an offensive coordinator. I think he had the desire to do well. I would never question his motivation or will to do whatever possible to make the Hawks successful. But for some reason, it just doesn't work out, whether that's the influence of his dad on the play calling or bad luck or the inability to recruit, but something wasn't quite right there. And so given that I don't think Ferentz would have fired him, they would have gone another season with him as offensive coordinator. And I think that really limited Hawks' ability to be a top caliber team. I mean, they have a championship level special teams and a championship level defense. 
and that's like they're playing basketball with one arm tied behind their back. Something has to be done differently with the offense. And we saw a little progress in the last couple of games, but it's got to be something where it's average, just average. And I think you've got an amazing team here. So Iowa was just squeaking by on these teams that they should have beaten by a couple touchdowns. I like Brian Ferentz. I don't know how he is as a coach. The players seem to like him. He's had some issues in the past, and he's not getting it done as a coordinator. Any other coordinator would have been fired before this. So I think it's the right call, and I was impressed with Beth Getz and how she stepped in and made that decision. She obviously doesn't want to deal with this father-son relationship and doesn't think that's something she wants to continue with. So I think it's the right call. But I will never question his loyalty to the program or his motivation or desire to be successful as a coordinator. He played at Iowa for his dad. He came back and coached for many years, so he'll always be a Hawkeye. But I think it was time to move on. This week's opponent is Nebraska. Iowa is 20, 30, and 3 all time for a 40% win rate. They actually played each other quite a bit early on, starting in 1891. In 1896, they actually played twice due to a controversy over how the first game ended. For Hayden Fry played Nebraska four times. He was one in three all time, 25%. And the only win was the famous one in 1981, the Rose Bowl season. He also had losses in 1979 and 1980 when he was rebuilding. And then again in 1982. Kirk Ferentz is eight and six all time, 57%. He lost his first four, 99, 2000, And then when Nebraska joined the Big Ten, he also lost the first two there, 2011 and 2012. But then he won eight of the next ten, including seven in a row from 2015 to 2021. From 1903 to 1917, Nebraska went 8-0-1 against the Hawks. And then from 1931 to 1941, they also won eight straight. Then there's a few big gaps between when they played. They didn't play in the 1920 season through the 1929 season. And then there's another gap in the 1947 season all the way to 1978. And then after 1982 season, they didn't play again until the 1999 season, Ferentz's first year. So let's go back from 1891 all the way up through 1919, because there's quite a few games that they played. The first matchup was November 26th, 1891. This game was played in Omaha at the YMCA ballpark. Iowa wins 22 to nothing. Iowa did not have a coach at the time. There were 2,000 in attendance, and the game kicked off at 3.30. On Thanksgiving Day in Omaha, 2,000 people watched Iowa shut out Nebraska in its first game outside of Iowa. The Hawkeyes used the wedge play in its rushing attack to take a 14-0 lead into halftime. Bert German scored the first touchdown, and William Larrabee scored the second touchdown, and German added two more scores in the second half to end with three touchdowns on the day. The game was played at the ballpark, and the game almost wasn't played as there was no uprights, no policemen, and no way to keep the crowd off the field. But a few people got together, got things in order before the game started. So for the scoring, they were still doing halves early on. I don't remember which year they went to quarters. So some of these early games will just have first half and second half scores. So first half was 14 to nothing, and then final was 22 to nothing. I've got some articles available about the game. One is on huskermax.com. They have a recap. And then the Lincoln Journal Star has one. And then the Daily Iowa. Husker Max is a really cool website. It's all about Nebraska football. At least it's primarily about Nebraska football. That was how I modeled the Hawkeye Recap website. 
I wanted to do something very similar to what they did. So kudos to them for putting a lot of effort into it. They have quite a few of these we'll be referencing back to their site. They don't have every year in every game, but they've got quite a bit of content in there. The next matchup is November 24th, 1892. This was played also in Omaha, Nebraska at Sportsman Park. Hawks tie 10 to 10. Edwin Dalton is the coach. There are 550 in attendance with a three o'clock kickoff. This was Iowa's first tie in school history. Nebraska took a four nothing lead after a touchdown. And remember the scoring is different back then. The Hawkeyes answered with two touchdowns to make the halftime score 10 to four in favor of Iowa. Nebraska scored another touchdown with a conversion in the second half to tie the game 10 to 10. Both teams were desperately trying to score before time ran out of the game. And there's a Husker Max article, a Daily Iowa article, and a Lincoln Star Journal article. The next matchup is November 30th, 1893 at Omaha YMCA Ballpark again. Hawks lose 20 to 18. Ben Donnelly is the coach. There were 1,000 in attendance and a 310 kickoff. Nebraska started the scoring with a touchdown on a 55-yard touchdown run. Iowa answered with some long runs of its own and scored a touchdown in the second half. The Antelopes, as they were known at the time, then scored a touchdown to counter. Halftime score was 10 to six. The teams traded touchdowns in the second half, but the Hawks came out on the losing end. There's a Husker Max article and a Daily Iowa article. November 29th, 1894, also at Omaha YMCA ballpark, Hawks lose 36 to nothing. Roger Sherman is the coach. 4,000 were in attendance at a three o'clock kickoff. The weather was perfect for a late November game and Nebraska dominated the Hawks. The wind got one local newspaper, the Hesperian, to take a jab at Iowa when it claimed the Nebraska team to be the Corn Huskers and the name stuck with them ever since. So I don't have a lot of details about the game, but there is a Daily Iowa article, the Hesperian article, and the Husker name history link. Next was November 28, 1895 at University Park, also in Omaha. Hawks lose six to nothing. There was no coach for Iowa. 5,000 were in attendance in a 315 kickoff. It was a gloomy, cloudy day in Omaha and Nebraska scored the winning points with 13 minutes left in the game. Iowa tried to fight back, but ran out of time. Some unkind Nebraska fans chanted, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, go home and die after the win. A woman and child were also trampled by many Nebraska fans rushing to the gates at the end of the game. So again, I don't have a lot of details about the play-by-play and the scoring, but you can check out the Sioux City Journal recap and the Omaha World Herald recap. Next is November 26th, 1896 at University Park. Hawks in Nebraska tie 0-0. Alfred Bull is a coach. 2,000 were in attendance. Three o'clock kickoff. On Thanksgiving Day, the Hawkeyes carried a 6-1 record into a game against Nebraska to determine the Western Interstate Conference champion. However, a mixture of rain, sleet, and snow prevented any scoring, and the game ended in a scoreless tie. The weather did not allow for any markings to be made on the field, and the crowd was able to make its way onto the field during play. It ended up preventing Iowa from scoring a touchdown. Iowa hit the ball on the one-yard line, and the crowd assisted the Nebraska defense at standing behind them at the goal line. The Hawkeyes were unable to score. Little attempt was made to keep the crowd off the field, except when Nebraska had the ball. Athletic officials from both schools, therefore, agreed to replay the conference title game two days later on Saturday. So there's a Daily Island article and the Daily Non-Pariel recap. So two days later, on November 28th, same place, University Park in Omaha, 
The Hawks win 6 to nothing. still under Alfred Bell in a 3 o'clock kickoff. In that rematch, Iowa won their first ever conference title by defeating the Nebraska 6 nothing. So in the rematch, the Hawks won on a 30-yard touchdown run by Frank Holbrook. If you don't know the story about Frank Holbrook, uh, I'll have a link in there to highlight his work and the movie that recently was done by Quinn Early about his story. So it's pretty cool. You can check out the Daily Island Recap article in the Omaha World Herald Recap. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Next is November 25th, 1897. They played at the Field Club Park in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Hawks lose 6 to nothing. Otto Wagenhurst is the coach, 3-10 kickoff. The Hawks allowed Nebraska to move the ball up and down the field. They got down to the Iowa 5-yard line on six different occasions, but Iowa rallied each time by blocking two attempted goal kicks and holding them on downs, keeping them scoreless. In the second half, the Hawksters were able to break free on a 35-yard touchdown run to break the scoreless tie. Iowa had the ball in Nebraska's five-yard line, but the game ended before they could score. You can check out the Husker Max article and the Daily Island article. Next is November 24th, 1898. And you can see in the history, they're playing around Thanksgiving, so it makes sense that they play a Black Friday. This was held at Union Park in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Iowa wins six to five. All the Knipe is the coach. 2,000 were in attendance, 345 kickoff. Nebraska got on the board first after a series of runs, but missed the extra point. Iowa responded in the second half when Samuel Hobbs somehow found a crease in the defense and raced downfield for the go-ahead score. Nebraska had the ball deep into Iowa territory, but the defense caused a series of losses to keep them from scoring, and the game ended shortly thereafter with a one-point victory. I've got a Daily Iowan recap article you can check out. Next is November 4th, 1899 at Ames Avenue Park in Omaha. Hawks win 30 to nothing. Alden Knight is the coach, and 2,500 were in attendance. The struggles of the team under Nebraska coach Branch continued as Nebraska suffered their third straight shutout defeat and fourth shutout of the season as Iowa romped over the Bug Eaters in Omaha at a converted baseball field. So I don't have very much to report there, but I've got a Daily Iowan game recap and then a Scott Docterman Twitter post where he talked about the game. Next is October 31st, 1903. This is at Iowa Field. I think this is the first time they played in Iowa City. Hawks lose 17 to 6. John Chalmers is the coach, and there's a 3 o'clock kickoff. Nebraska scored on long runs of 89 and 65 yards, which made it difficult to overcome. Iowa scored on a touchdown run by Fred Buckley, but the Hawks were hampered when star running back Niall Jones was injured and had to leave the game. Dwight Griffith ran 50 yards on a fake punt, but Iowa turned the ball over on the next play. So it was tied 6-6 six to six at halftime, and then 
Nebraska scored 11 points in the second half. There's a Husker Max article and a Daily Iowa article. Next is November 5th, 1904. I'm not quite sure where this game was played. I think it's Antelope Field in Lincoln, Nebraska, which would be in the first game in Lincoln. Doesn't really mention that because Nebraska Field didn't open until 1909. Hawks lose 17-6. John Chalmers is the coach. There were 5,000 in attendance. 3 o'clock kickoff. Iowa's Walter Stoltenberg scored a touchdown within the first 10 minutes, and the Hawks led 6 to nothing at halftime. But the Nebraska offense was too strong, gaining 426 yards versus 72 yards for Iowa, and putting up 17 points in the second half. The score would have been worse, but the Huskers fumbled the ball multiple times. And you can check out a Daily Iowan article. October 31, 1908, at Iowa Field, Hawks lose 11-8. Mark Catlin is the coach, 3,500 were in attendance, and it was a 3 o'clock kickoff. I also have an official game program you can check out, so that's pretty cool. The Hawkeyes drop kick attempt from Mike Highland in the last four minutes of play was blocked, which would have been worth four points and put Iowa in the lead. The paper mentions that smoke from the university power plant made the play disagreeable in the second half. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The local power plant had an influence in must have been blowing into the field. So you can check out Husker Max article in Daily Iowan to learn more about who scored and a little bit more on the play-by-play. Next is October 23rd, 1909 at Nebraska Field. Iowa ties 6-6. John Griffith is the coach, and it was a 3 o'clock kickoff. Two drop kicks by Iowa's Mike Heinland and a Nebraska touchdown gave both teams six points. A late field goal attempt by Iowa was missed wide, and the game ended in a tie. But it was a moral victory for Iowa. It was the first game played at Nebraska Field. Iowa scored in the first half, and Nebraska scored in the second half, and there's a Daily Iowa article. Next is November 22nd, 1913, at Nebraska Field. Hawks lose 12 to nothing. Jesse Holly is the coach, 6,500 in attendance. I also have a game program for this game as well, so definitely check that out. Nebraska capped a perfect season with a 12-0 win over the Hawks, who entered the game averaging 50 points per contest, but were without center Max Houghton due to an injury. The Hawkeyes couldn't gain one yard when it mattered. With Nebraska clinging to a 6-0 lead, Iowa had three tries from the one-yard line or closer, and three times the Hawks were turned away. On fourth down, Iowa fullback and captain Ralph McGinnis tried a desperate leap over the line, but was stopped short. And there's a Husker Max article and a Daily Island article. Next is November 21st, 1914 at Iowa Field. Hawks lose 16-7. Jesse Holly is the coach, 2.30 kickoff. Nebraska's Vic Halligan led the Huskers with his passing and kicking, accounting for 10 points to help the Huskers to a 16-0 lead. The Hawks were close to scoring many times during the game, but were unable to get points. They were finally able to score on a forward pass from Samuel Gross to Joe Carberry for a touchdown. Nebraska scored in the first quarter with a field goal, second quarter with a field goal, a touchdown in the third quarter, and a field goal in the fourth quarter, and Hawks scored in the fourth quarter. So you can check out the Daily Iowa article about that game. Next is November 20th, 1915 at Nebraska Field. Hawks lose badly 52-7. Jesse Holly is the coach. Twice in the first quarter, Iowa had the ball down on the Nebraska 10-yard line, but came away with no points. The Huskers were successful on the day with long runs, and the Hawks were unable to stop them. Iowa's only score came on a muff punt when Robert Fostick scooped up the ball and ran 25 yards for a touchdown in the second quarter.
Nebraska scored 13 in the first quarter, 19 in the second, 14 in the third, and six points in the fourth quarter for 52 points. And you can check out the Daily Island article if you'd like. Next is November 25th, 1916 at Iowa Field. Hawks lose 34-17. Howard Jones is the coach. Two o'clock kickoff. John Davis got the Hawks on the board first with a short touchdown run and added the extra point. Later in the quarter, he kicked a 40-yard field goal to give Iowa a 10-0 lead. Nebraska scored three times in the second quarter to make it 20-10 at halftime. John Von Lockham scooped up a Nebraska fumble and ran 40 yards for the touchdown, making it 20-17. But that's the closest the score would be. Two touchdowns in the fourth quarter by Nebraska, including an interception return for a touchdown, ended the scoring. And you can check out the Daily Iowa article for more. Next is October 13, 1917 at Nebraska Field. Hawks lose 47 to nothing. Howard Jones is the coach. There were 3,000 in attendance. Nebraska's rushing attack was too much for the Hawks, running up and down the field all game long. Iowa slowed down the attack in the third quarter, holding them scoreless, but they could not hold them off the rest of the game. A block punt by Nebraska led to a touchdown, making the final score 47 to nothing. Nebraska scored 20 points in the first quarter, 14 in the second, none in the third, and then another 13 in the fourth quarter. And you can check out the Daily Iowa article. Next is October 5th, 1918 at Nebraska Field, where the Hawks win 12 to nothing. Howard Jones is the coach. The Hawks and Cornhuskers were scoreless in the first half, and Iowa was able to get on the board with 60 yards rushing down to the five-yard line. A short touchdown pass gave the Hawks a 6-0 lead. The Hawks were able to rush another 40 yards for the second touchdown, which would be all the scoring in the game. The game ended with Iowa near the Husker goal line. Nebraska's best scoring opportunity came in the first quarter after a Hawkeye fumble recovery at the Iowa 18-yard line. The Huskers were on the one-yard line but were turned away on downs. And the Daily Iowa article also talks about the 1918 Spanish flu outbreak and how the school was handling it at the time. So it's kind of interesting given the last couple of years. You can check out a Huster Max article in the Daily Iowa article. The last game we'll cover is October 4th, 1919 at Iowa Field. Iowa wins 18 to nothing. Howard Jones is the coach. 3,500 are in attendance. Iowa scored first with a 20-yard touchdown pass from Fred Lohman to Glenn Devine. The Hawks scored again in the first quarter when Aubrey Devine, brother of Glenn, ran for a short touchdown run to help the Hawks take a 13-0 first quarter lead. He later added a 30-yard field goal in the second quarter, giving Iowa a 16-0 halftime lead. The Hawks added a fourth-quarter safety when a Husker punt snap went past the punter and through the end zone. The Hawkeye defense held tough against one potential Nebraska scoring drive at the Iowa 20-yard line, but they were able to keep them off the scoreboard. And there's a Husker Max article and a Daily Iowa article. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa, a list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. With basketball season starting up, I'll also try to go back and show some of the history of some of the opponents. The Hawks have a matchup with Oklahoma coming up, so I thought I'd look at that team and our history. 
Hawks are three and two overall. The games were played in 1951 and 1952, then again in 1958, 1959, and then of course the big one, the Sweet 16 matchup, where Iowa won on the last second shot in 1987. The first matchup is December 20th, 1951, at Iowa Fieldhouse. Hawks win 59 to 46. Bucky O'Connor is the coach. Chuck Darling scored 30 points to lead the Hawks to their 54th consecutive non-conference home victory. Both teams shot poorly, with Iowa shooting 27% and Oklahoma shooting 26%. Iowa was aided by Herb Thompson, who scored 10 of his 12 points in the first half. So Iowa had a 35-31 to 31 lead in the first half, and then outscored them by 9, 24-15 in the second half for the 13-point win. And you can read a daily Iowa article. Next is December 6th, 1952, at McCausland Fieldhouse in Norman, Oklahoma. Hawks lose 63 to 62. Bucky O'Connor was a coach, and there were 4,000 in attendance. Oklahoma took a 10-point lead into the third quarter and seemed to be in control, but the Hawks fought back when McKinley Davis narrowed the score to 62-60 from the free throw line with one minute remaining. Kenneth Buckles tied it at 62, but Oklahoma hit one free throw and recovered a loose ball under the Iowa basket to preserve the win. Hawks were down 35-31 at half. They outscored them by three, 31 to 28 in the second half, but still fell one point short. And there's a Blackwell Journal Tribune game recap you can read. They also were playing quarters back then. So again, I don't know when they switched going to halves, but I think there's a lot of momentum to try to go back to quarters. Next is December 8th, 1958 at McCausland Fieldhouse in Norman, Oklahoma. Hawks lose 80 to 57. Sharm Sherman is the coach. Iowa fell behind 31 to 18 at halftime, and it only got worse in the second half, falling behind by 21 points and losing by 23 points. Oklahoma out-rebounded Iowa 38 to 26. Dave Gunther led the Hawks with 22 points. And you can read a daily Iowa article about the game. The next is December 19, 1959, at Iowa Fieldhouse. Number 19 ranked Iowa defeats Oklahoma 62 to 49. Sharm Sherman is the coach. The Hawkeyes scored a quick 10 points midway in the first half to take an 18-10 lead and never looked back, leading by 9 at halftime. Mike Heitman and Ron Zager played well defensively, which gave Iowa a spark on offense. Zager ended with 17 points. The difference is shooting, as Iowa shot 51% from the field and held the Sooners to 25%. Don Nelson scored 14 points, and Nolden Gentry scored 11 points. And there's a daily Iowa game recap. And the last time they played was March 20th, 1987, at the NCAA Tournament Regional Semifinals, which is the Sweet 16, in the Kingdome in Seattle, Washington. Iowa's ranked number six. Hawks win in overtime 93-91. to Tom Davis was the coach. 22,035 were in attendance. Iowa fell behind 16 points in the first half, but the Hawks scored 19 straight points to make the game competitive and were only down one point at halftime. It was close most of the second half, but Oklahoma led by five points with only two minutes remaining. Iowa was able to force overtime on a B.J. Armstrong three-pointer. Kevin Gamble blocked a shot to force overtime, then hit a three-pointer with one second left to send Iowa to the regional finals, or the Elite Eight. He ended up 11 for 13 from the field, two for two from three-point range, to end with a career-high 26 points. Armstrong ended with 16 points, and three other players ended in double figures. There's a Chicago Tribune article in the Pantograph article, and I've got highlights that I uploaded from the game 
you can check out. And then there's two full game versions of that game. So definitely watch that. There's also a player quote from Kevin Gamble when describing his game-winning three-pointer. I set my feet as I was getting the pass, and it felt good when I released it. If you have topics or games or opponents or players you'd like to learn about, please contact me. You can reach me through the website, HawkeyeRecap.com. You can also find me on Twitter and on Facebook. If you know other Hawkeye fans that might like hearing this podcast, if you could please let them know about it, i really appreciate it. Thanks and go Hawks!